Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast where we rant about Percebeth and use a critical fandom studies lens to massively overanalyze Rick Riordan's books. Today, we are moving into the Tower of Nero with a wonderful returning guest. So stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the wonderful Rick. I always want to say Rick Mo because that's your Instagram. A lot of people call me that actually. And I'm like, yeah, do, do whatever you want. It really rolls off the tongue. Yeah. That way it can distinguish you from Rick Riordan. I mean, I, I wish I was him only sometimes though. He's Rick. You're Rick Mo. <laughs> yes. Well, welcome back, Rick. Thank you. It's good to be back. So much has happened. Today is Friday, January 27th as we're recording this. So yesterday we got that good good poseidon zeus casting we got the necklace walker wearing annabeth's necklace everything we could have ever imagined i spent like all day on twitter it was so exhausting <laughs> but like really fun how do we feel about that anybody have thoughts because that literally just happened i haven't seen anything that either of those men are in so i don't like know their body of work although i did see that um now i'm blanking on their names i feel like one is lance and one is Toby. Toby. So I, I know that Toby is in Black Sails and he's a pirate. Yes. Which I feel like is so fitting for Poseidon. Like, that's so fun. Very Blackbeard energy. That's all I know about them, though. <laughs> Lance Reddick has, in particular, an extensive and impressive credits list, but I know him from John Wick, <laughs> which just makes me think Keanu Reeves should make a cameo on the show, and I think he would agree to do it in a second you would fit in so well <laughs> i was listening carter to the still processing episode on about keanu? keanu reeves they were like at the end of the day he's just a canadian intellectual <laughs> i have such a vivid memory of us being on roosevelt island most magical place on earth yes disneyland could never <laughs> i have a memory of us being there and having a conversation about this but now that i'm thinking about this i can't remember if we had this conversation or if I was listening to the episode of Still Processing while I was walking by myself on Roosevelt Island the day before we went together to Roosevelt Island. I feel like it's got to <laughs> be the latter. Do you think so? But we definitely talked about Keanu Reeves on that trip because that's when I got my t-shirt. Yes, that is when you got on the t-shirt Etsy. on Etsy. I've only ever seen Bill and Ted. I'm not a Keanu completist, but I will be a Keanu completist before I complete <laughs> my life here on Earth. <laughs> When we first started this podcast, I was like so annoyed by podcasts that like the first five minutes were just banter between the hosts that no one cares about that has nothing to do with the content of the show. And so when we started the show, I was like, none of this crap. And now I'm like, ha 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 ha, time with my friends. <laughs> uh. Carter got into grad school. I'm telling the internet. Oh my. It's true. Yes. Yay, Carter. Going to grad school. Yes, slay. <laughs> period you should be proud of yourself so those are the major developments of this week <laughs> poseidon zeus carter getting into grad school and most importantly of all walker wearing annabeth's necklace <laughs> y'all know our amazing guest liam t or not t crowley from last week he suggested a little tactic for bribing our listeners to give us reviews and stuff like that so basically this is stolen straight from liam 
This is a feminist citation practice. We are going to say that if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, you know, those kind that you can actually like write out with your hands, with your thumbs on your phone and ask us a question, we will answer that question at the start of the next episode. Similarly, if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, you can do the same thing or leave us a rating on Spotify. Send us a screenshot of that rating on Instagram and ask us your question and we will also answer it. Little bribery to have some engagement on our pages. Okay, thank you. Juicing the numbers. Juicing, gassing the, steroiding the... (laughs) This is our version of Spotify Paola. Yeah. That being said, (laughs) shout out to the recent Apple Podcast reviewers, Munchie911, Lemon, exclamation point, Ella underscore loves underscore cheese. Cheesecake and Golden Bears 2001. Thank you for listening. All right. What the heck are we talking about today, y'all? We're getting into the Tower of Nero. The Tower of Nero, which for those of you who have not been keeping track, is the last book of the Trials of Apollo series. There was a period of time where we were like, this is the end of... How would we parameterize this? Rick Riordan writing about Greek things? My life? (laughs) Yeah, he even said like he he was firm in that belief yeah why was he saying that he was such a liar he knew he was a liar like he must have known in 2020 he probably had already had those conversations with disney about trying to bribe them for the show by offering another book which he mentioned that he did yeah so he was open about that maybe he was literally lying a hundred percent deceit and he knew he was lying I feel like we were all skeptical. I don't know that there was ever a time in my life where I was like, yes, this book, The Tower of Nero, is the end of Rick Reardon (laughs) having things to say about Percy Jackson and also the Greco-Roman canon. That was a real Richard moment. (laughs) Richard be lying. Richard, (laughs) and and we're fine with him having lied in this context. But we're going to be talking about a book that is the end of something. I am excited to return to my hardcover copies of these books because I foolishly signed up for the Riordan book tour for this book in 2020 so that I could get the exclusive Nico D'Angelo Camp Half-Blood hat, which slaps, by the way. (laughs) It's a skeleton Pegasus on an all-black hat. Which is mentioned in this book. It's mentioned in this book, yeah. Signed copy, hardcover, and because I already owned this one and I didn't read it until literally last week, (laughs) um, I had to buy each individual paperback of the first four books in the series. But it's nice to be back to the hardcovers. And this is my only signed Rick book. Should we should we go around and do quick thoughts, high level, um, around the table? Erica, would you like to start? Yes, I really enjoyed this book. That's my high level statement. I had a fantastic time. It's super fast paced. Also, everybody hyped it up for me by saying, since before we started the series, that this is the best book in trials of apollo so i was pretty excited for it i was surprised at how much of it is the battle it reminded me a ton of the last olympian and there are explicit references and not so explicit references to the battle of manhattan Mm -hmm. and all of that was really fun and i really appreciated the ending which we'll you know get to talking about many weeks from now but for now just baseline really had a good time yeah, I'm, I'm going to second that sentiment broadly. Um, broadly? At a, at a high level, I think I agree. I feel like there were some moments where the pacing felt a little strange to me. I think generally it was good that the book really felt like it was moving and we were doing things the whole time. I appreciated that. And I think as an ending in particular, it made a lot of sense and felt quite satisfying to me. Yeah. Yeah. I also agree. I think that out of the five books in this series, this is really the only one that I can like remember specific details off the top of my head about, <laughs> aside from like Jason dying. 
I think that this is the only book in the series where Apollo is actually like, oh, I want to listen to him. Well, do I? No, but like I will um, because he's more tolerable in this book. He's he's learned what humanity is. But I will say I wrote this in our little outline too. What happens to Lou at the end of this book is like one of the most graphic things wow, I remember yeah. from the series. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. we've seen like children getting like cut in half by the earth before that swallowed up by nico d'angelo yeah like we've we've seen that but like spoiler alert should i say this i don't know will it yeah i'll say that here's your warning if you haven't finished tower of nero and you don't want us to spoil it come back when you finish yes. okay uh, go ahead listen to me speak <laughs> yeah just like uh, basically what is it like a child soldier like being forced to like cut off the hands of someone who has like taken care of them it's just it's very like hunger games of rick mm, totally totally okay We're going to focus in on the very beginning here with the dedication to Becky. Every journey leads me home to you. That's so cute. (laughs) Can I get an awe in the chat? Oh. (laughs) That's really sweet. And also reminds us that this book is supposed to be, supposed to be about Apollo finishing his trial so he can return home to Olympus. We'll revisit that. What are his goals now? Has he had so much character development that he no longer wants to go back to Zeus? Yeah, after that dedication, we open up on something that is so familiar and delicious and so (laughs) Percy Jackson. We're on the Amtrak from DC to New York City. Apollo says, we'd freed ancient oracles, defeated legions of monsters, and suffered the untold horrors of the American public transportation system. This is the first of so many, I think, purposeful allusions to the original series throughout this book because Rick loves pulling this move where in the last book, especially because he made us think this was the last (laughs) Percy book he was writing, he was pulling on all our nostalgic threads like these train rides and bus rides. And we're also full circle for this series heading back to, quote, where our troubles began, Manhattan. One of the most important themes of this book is Meg's growth emotionally. And we start that thought process here with Apollo noting Meg's external growth and saying that she suddenly looks so much older. He says, with her page boy haircut beginning to grow out and an angry red zit erupting on her chin, (laughs) she no longer looked like a kindergartner. She looked almost her age, a sixth grader entering the circle of hell known as puberty. Right away, (laughs) thinking about Meg no longer being hopefully that emotionally stunted, uh, traumatized kid who was like mentally perhaps younger than she should have been. And we hope that she has the capability to face Nero in this book. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That just felt like so strong to me in the first chapter. I don't know if either of you had feelings about that. The zit specifically. I was like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) This is something different. (laughs) Growth. Growth. Literally, like, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, um, a very meaningful turning point in people's lives. That is, that's your face. Your face is telling the world, I am transitioning (laughs) between phases of existence, which is really big, especially because this intersection is a reflection on Meg returning to her roots, thinking about her childhood, um, trying to place herself within the context of some sort of lineage, if you will. Um, And this is important to that. Yes. Everything is coming together. Should we talk about Apollo's racism? (laughs) 
<laughs> jarring. I was like, wow, we are literally opening up this book with racial profiling. Apollo is like, that snake is looking over at me suspiciously. And Meg is like, he's literally just sitting there. And Apollo says, he's sitting there suspiciously. I was like, whoa, this is a lot. Hmm. We have circled in and around and above and underneath the conversation about monster rights and what it means to be a monster within this universe. Percy himself, Annabeth, they have asked these questions. My only thought on it at the moment is that it would be really sick if in the sun and the star, we finally have a more developed conversation about these things. If you dust, does that mean you don't get rights and you do not get treated <laughs> fairly? I want to hear about that. I think that going to Tartarus would be the perfect opportunity for Nico and Will to really kind of round out that conversation. Yes. Maybe they start advocating, especially since the book is theoretically about them going to get Bob. Yes. The book is about them trying to challenge pre-existing hierarchies and ideas about suspect classes of beings. And also, like, not to be whatever, but like... Rick and Disney, like, it would not be the first time we have used the idea of monstrosity and queerness as interchangeable metaphors. You know, like, if someone is going to get in there and say, I have some thoughts about what the monster within is, it's Nico. Nico, the gay Nico, yeah. Oh my god. Nico and Ursula team up. Nico and Scar team up. Nico and Hades himself team up. Nico and Colomari by your name, Kyle, team up. Italian X joint sleigh. <laughs> please, please no. Um, he needs like a pain and panic, like those two little henchmen. Like yes. I feel like he would really benefit from people just like following him around. Yeah, he needs a couple animal sidekicks. Yeah. He's my Disney princess. <laughs> I guess we need to get some plot stuff out of the way here. Apollo goes to confront Snake Dude. Snake Dude, turns out he's acting lightly suspiciously because he is under a trance. He's being, what is the word, possessed by the spirit of Python. He spits out the next section of poetry, which is, The son of Hades, cavern runner's friend, must show the secret way unto the throne. On Nero's own, your lives do now depend. And then immediately is murdered. It's so sad. It is so sad. He literally is like, oh, my wife is going to be so mad that I missed my stop and I'm going to be late. And then he gets, boom, shot. <laughs> what on earth? He is the Beckendorf of this novel. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> what, a com- what a comparison. <laughs> I just realized it. Starting off with a really, really upsetting cold-blooded murder yeah i get yeah the casualties of war this man didn't even know he was in a war he was just on his commute home from mm-hmm. work he was literally a civilian yeah but it also it serves to uh frighten us about the power of python and how python can just like inhabit people and control surroundings yes that's pretty freaky we should be scared of that and also the power mm-hmm. of nero because who killed the snake man it is nero's army of ethnic others who are immortal dust (laughs) (laughs) this book is unhinged rick said it wasn't enough to have scary tall german people we're now having scary tall question mark celtic people okay this is a good time for an explanatory comment and a pause here the new person specifically we're meeting here is someone who apollo immediately identifies as a gaul g-a-u-l gaul if you've ever looked at a map of the Roman Empire, you will notice that there is a big section labeled Gaul that roughly corresponds to France and then also includes some surrounding territories that speak French-adjacent languages, if you will excuse me. Um, I don't I don't 
know or care to know that much about Europe. Um, it also would include like Belgium <laughs> and some parts of Switzerland. <laughs> and, you know, like it's an expansive area. I think that is context that is really curiously missing from the book because Apollo does, you know, it's a little bit different in the sense that the only Gaul that we meet has a name and a personality and a history. But I do feel like, how would I put this? When when we first encountered the Germani, I was like, this is bad. But also, like, that word is so obviously telling you this is a German person that I think that the monstrosity ascribed to the Germani feels, shall we say, less harrowing because the reader will be like, oh, haha, isn't that a little funny that they're saying German people are monsters? Whereas I understand them in America's racial hierarchy to be doing just fine. Whereas this is a situation where, like, I think a lot of readers might read this whole book and be like, I don't know what a Gaul is. This is some sort of ethnic minority that they're saying is, like, bad and monstrous without knowing the whole time that they're referring to, like, literally the biggest colonizing people. Not that, actually, okay, I shouldn't say biggest colonizing, like, biggest empire in history was British. But... The French people were, were colonizers, and like you don't know that that's who we're talking about if you didn't Google what is a Gaul. <laughs> Apollo himself is even like on page twenty six has a whole paragraph being like, "I wondered how Lou had come into Nero's service, like being Celtic, da 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 da, da and like because then because then we're like, oh, are they setting up a a Celtic mythology series? <laughs> oh I yes, feel like, yes, I that's feel like it, he that's would. It. He would. He says, absolutely. like, those Celtic gods are something else. And that's when I knew. It wasn't when Rick got his PhD in Celtic languages. It was It was this moment that I knew <laughs> that he was writing a Celtic mythology series. And you know who else is writing a Celtic mythology series? Shout out to Francesca McMahon, our dear friend from the Best Damn Camp podcast. Her short story, The Spiral of the Gods, is available now. Go check it out <laughs> while we wait for Rick's <laughs> thing to come out. Yes, anyway, that's all confusing. Explanatory comma, anything else, Carter? I think we should just talk about Lou. Tell me about Lou. So Lou's a Gaul, as we've mentioned. And Lou is someone who, first of all, is described as a gigantic woman, which is one of the most phenomenal types of pop cultural imagery and canon that you can enter into. Louisa? We need to see Gwendolyn Christie as <gasps> Lou. I'm, I'm just of gigantic women, Gwendolyn Christie. Our Lord and Savior, beautiful, beautiful woman. Loved her in Wednesday, loved her in Game of Thrones, Midsummer, you know. In um Sandman. Yes, so true. In the book I'm reading right now, there is like also a gigantic woman and she is incredible. She is in The Sunbearer Trials by Aidan Thomas and she is like a seven foot tall demigod or semi-diosa. She has the power to like move earth with her bare hands, you know? Love that for her. And she like always wants to be naked because she's like, why would I hide my incredible body? Like people deserve to see this. Yes, they do. They do. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Lou is gigantic, but she's also a leader. And she is leading this team. (laughs) Even better. (laughs) She can do both. Um, She's also a traitor. (laughs) Yes. The holy trifecta. Gigantic. A leader and a traitor. And a liar. Sickening. We love all of those things for her. Um, so she she immediately starts fighting Meg. We notice right away that there are a lot of similarities in their fighting styles. Lou also is using the two curved swords in each hand the same way that Meg does, right? Right? And Apollo's like, wow, they seem to be really coordinated. And they're like are making a lot of flashy moves. And no one's getting cut. I wonder what is going on. Meg also had kind of a weird reaction. There's a moment where like Lou basically pulls the two of them away. And she's like, 
okay, here's T. I'm going to tell you what the plan is. Get ready. Apollo, you have to like unlatch these cars. Meg, we're going to keep pretend fighting. Let's do this. Let's get you out. And the team goes and they accomplish it. Lou um, does uh, carry out the betrayal. Even after Lou helps them escape, Apollo is still like having a hard time trusting her. Why is this? Because he says Nero pays her salary. We are thinking a lot about what it means to not only be a tyrant, but a businessman and the CEO of a corporation and the owner of um, assets and how that makes you evil and how you can control people in that way and how we cannot trust anybody under capitalism. Yeah, there's a conflict here. Meg completely trusts Lou as soon as they have this conversation. Apollo does not. And also, we are still not at this point given full context for their relationship. Like, I think Apollo gets in on the fact that, like, Lou trained Meg and that Meg knows her really well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're not given um, information about, say, legal relationships, (laughs) you know, titles that they might give each other for um, (laughs) uh, those types of relationships. Those are still, at this point, ambiguous as we... um, go off together and uh, make our escape into the tunnels underneath New York. What next? We're in the sewers. We're making our way. And eventually we decide that the next stop is the Upper East Side. (laughs) The Upper East Side. Yes, we pop out of the sewers. It's Lexington and 75th Street. And Apollo pulls out the arrow of Dodona to ask for advice on like what they should do, where they should go um, as they formulate this plan to break into the Tower of Nero. And the arrow of Dodona says, well, first of all, <laughs> he's like, did you call me your friend? Didst thou callest me thy friend? He loves it. <laughs> he, they're besties. Wow, the arrow of Dodona. Forget what I said about Meg. The arrow of Dodona has the most powerful arc in this entire series, Absolutely. especially in this book. Period. <laughs> Huge growth. Huge growth. He says, seekest thou the place of the seven-layer dip? And what is that a reference to? Yet another forceful, intentional callback to the lightning thief. That is Sally Jackson's baby. Literally the first book, chapter like three or something. We get that first reference to Sally's being dip. And, and we're going back. I would love to try it. It's probably so good. Oh, it's incredible. It's like vegan too, you know? It's like somehow like nutritional yeast is involved. There's multiple <laughs> kinds of beans. Black beans, pinto beans. Will Percy be there? We don't know. We don't know what to expect. Let's take a quick break and then we will find out. I scanned the room for Percy Jackson, but found only a middle-aged man with salt and pepper hair, rumpled khakis, oven mitts, and a pink dress shirt covered by a bright yellow apron splattered with tomato sauce. He was bouncing a giggly baby on his hip. The child's yellow onesie pajamas matched the man's apron so perfectly, I wondered if they'd come as a set. Paul freaking Blowfist. Paul mother freaking Blowfist. There's no Percy, but we do have Paul Blowfist. We do have Estelle. The child. This is, I believe, because our Because the last first... time we saw them. Yes. Sally was pregnant last time, and we're back, and the child is there. This is mm-hmm. a reminder that time has passed. This is a reminder that... The world has a future, and that um, exactly there are warm homes with good the future families, is perfection, um, <laughs> with babies that have sea green eyes and salt and pepper hair, and also like grandparent names. Like who chose the name Estelle? That's second. Like, it was Sally's mom's name. Oh, that's right. right? Okay, maybe who mysteriously died in a quote-unquote plane crash. <laughs> yeah, there are many. I, I think it's so absolutely hysterical that Rick said this baby child has sea green eyes and salt and pepper hair. He said this infant has gray hair. Six months old. How do you have gray hair? Like, how do you even have enough hair? I, I was Let me give you guys... <laughs> Is this a Titan's Curse reference? I 
Two found this to be a very silly choice. Let's read the quote. <laughs> Estelle giggled and drolled as if her own name was the funniest joke in the universe. She had Percy's sea green eyes and clearly her mother's good nature. She also had wisps of black and silver hair like Paul, which I had never seen on a baby. She would be the world's first salt and pepper toddler. <laughs> I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, wait, hold on, Rick. I see what you're doing here. This is you making up for the fact that you got rid of Percy and Annabeth's gray streaks and somehow in-universe metaphorically bringing them back. I actually don't know <laughs> if that's the case and was his intention, but I would like to think it was. Gigantic stretch, but we'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> I had a question. Like, what did you guys think about this section being included in the first place? Like revisiting Sally's house in this book, in this moment, with no Percy. I love Sally Jackson, so I am happy to see them. I do think that like when I was first reading this, I was like just spending the whole section nervous about, oh, is something gonna happen to this this family that we love? It is tremendous, egregious fan service. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Which is not a bad thing. Even though there's no Percy? Even, is yes. it not, not enough fan service? No, I think the fact that there's no Percy is hugely important to the pacing of the book, that like if Percy were here giving us like mm-hmm. a pep talk now, I think that the rest of the book wouldn't wouldn't work as a build in the same way. I think this is the right type of energy where we have our intense initial confrontation that we need to take this breather, reestablish the stakes, get us back on the same page about what's even happening. And then we move forward and like ratchet things back up. Pacing wise, I think it makes a ton of sense. It feels weird to me the way that Sally Jackson's life has evolved because we have always known her to be a slayer and we have known her to be a slayer from the early (laughs) days of when she was, you know, a single mother career woman making Mm -hmm. everything happen, balancing everything together. And I think that there is something curious about him being like, you want to know what the stakes are. The stakes are like a small, like traditional nuclear American family with a small child and specifically using Sally Jackson in that capacity, I think is a little um, yeah suspect, but I forgive it because there's enough of her individual personality there and her being actually a superhuman who is like thoughtful and emotionally intelligent that is like a little bit still this trope of like, perfect mother who is literally unassailable, which always has been kind of dancing in and around the Sally Jackson character. But mm-hmm. I'm inclined to go with that. But we still love we her. Still we still love do. her. And like the things yeah. that she says are thoughtful and like not arbitrary. Like I think that there were uh, a lot of alternate versions of the scene that are a lot dumber and more reductive that are more of the straight laced, you know, we have a giving mother preparing a lovely meal and introducing them to her child before they go off into the world, as opposed to having Sally come and offer these really thoughtful pieces of advice, you know, like giving of her time, but also clearly setting boundaries and not being like, I'm going to go contact Percy or like, let me try to help you or something like she actually walks, I think, a balance that does provide us interesting commentary about how Apollo has grown and how we should understand the mortal world that is... The stakes. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. I think that it's awesome that Sally found a partner and we're so happy for her. And I think we all love Paul Blofus, so that makes it even better. But I also think that it pings in us, and I'm saying Carter and I, I don't know how you feel about (laughs) single moms, Rick, but that love of single moms Mm -hmm. and that desire for portrayal of strong single moms. She's a single mom who works too hard, who loves her kids. Works two jobs. Two jobs, that's the word. That never stops. Thank you. (laughs) Single mom Sally was a Mm sleigh. Gabe Sally was a sleigh. Like... 
Paul Bofasali is a slay. Yes. But it is interesting how close it gets to like almost being a painful stereotype <laughs> to read. There is specifically a sentence. I'm going to skip to the end of their conversation and we'll go back and talk about it. But there's specific because we're talking about it. Specifically this line that I was like, Rick, you got me here with this sentence. This is as they're leaving. Sally gave us page 55. Sally gave us all hugs and wished us well. Then she said she had to get back to baking cookies, which she did to relieve stress while she was working on the revisions for her second novel. Hugely important. I don't know about you. I was taken on an emotional roller coaster in that sentence. That got me 100% back on board. I was like, wow. Yes, she is. Yes, that is a person who has creative ambition. She's an artist. Halfway through that sentence, I was like, really, Rick? This feels so unlike you to say that like Sally has to get back in the kitchen which she did to relieve stress from writing her not first, but second novel. <laughs> he said, gotcha. <laughs> She's still girl bossing. She's still gay. You can girl boss inside of the nuclear family. <laughs> if that's what you want, you can do that. You can have it all. Okay. So circling back now to like what actually goes down in the house, <laughs> aside from Estelle having gray hair, Persebeth crumbs. Are y'all ready for some Persebeth crumbs? Always. Are we all ready? Shall we do a reading? For some crumbs. Who wants to read page 36? I'll do it. We were hoping to see Percy, I finished. Estelle squealed with delight. She seemed to like the name Percy. I'd like to see him too, Sally said, but he's on his way to the West Coast with Annabeth. They left a few days ago. She pointed to a framed picture on the nearest end table. In the photo, my old friends, Percy and Annabeth, sat side by side in the Jackson family's dented Prius, both of them smiling out of the driver's side window. In the back seat was our mutual satyr friend, Grover Underwood, mugging for the camera, eyes crossed, tongue stuck out sideways, hands flashing peace signs. Annabeth leaned into Percy, her arms wrapped around his neck like she was about to kiss him or possibly choke him. Behind the wheel, Percy gave the camera a big thumbs up. He seemed to be telling me directly, we're out of here. You have fun with your quests or whatever. He graduated high school, Meg said, as if she'd witnessed a miracle. I know, Sally said. We even had cake. She pointed to another picture of Percy and Sally beaming as they held up a baby blue cake with darker blue icing that read, congratulations, Percy the Graduate. I did not ask why graduate was misspelled, dyslexia being so common in demigod families. <laughs> then I gulped. He's not here. <laughs> it was a silly thing to say, but some stubborn part of me insisted that Percy Jackson must be here somewhere, waiting to do dangerous tasks for me. That was his job. But no, that was the old Apollo's way of thinking, the Apollo I'd been the last time I was in this apartment. Percy was entitled to his own life. He was trying to have one, and oh, the bitter truth. It had nothing to do with me. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote in my book in all caps under that line, no. <laughs> it has everything to do with me. Rick, stop trying to divorce me from my boy, my son, my best friend, my favorite person in the world. Stop it. It's all right. We'll have the chalice of the gods. Exactly. I can't imagine reading this in 2020 and thinking that this was the last of it. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine reading this for the first time and being like, wait, what if we never, like, what if actually we never hear from Percy again? <laughs> that was me. I, I read this, like, right after it came out, and I was like, all right, this is it. And it was disappointing. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's fine, because we'll, we'll get more. The way it's all told without him even being here is so heartbreaking and it's so smart like it's such a smart choice from Absolutely. rick it is literally him teaching us to like let go and grow up mm -hmm. but it is literally hurts so bad <laughs> like we didn't even get to be there at his graduation like what the hell <laughs> why wasn't i invited <laughs> so mean i thought we were close okay well we know what percy is off doing and we are reminded 
that for Apollo, as well as for us, Percy needs to have other things happening in his life. We get a few other updates. Um, Sally clothes them, houses them, uses a washing machine for them, etc. A single um, mom who works two jobs. never <laughs> We have a little aside uh, where Paul Blofus is offering his commentary about Percy's educational options and him being like, oh, the school for at-risk children is um, insufficient and bad and the school systems in New York do not have requisite educational opportunities for the situation that Percy found himself in. And we're like, yeah, go off, Paul. Like, remind us about the evils of alternative schooling in New York City. Mm-hmm. And what the series was based upon. That's true. Can we do a dramatic reading of these two lines between Sally and Meg? And can you be Sally Carter and I'll be Meg? Let's get you some dry things to wear, at least. And some food if you're hungry. Yes, please. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's word for word from the book. <laughs> this entire chapter, or like two chapters that it's spread across, are so emotional. <laughs> Even knowing that Percy is not dead and that we are getting a story in his perspective and probably many more for the rest of our lives, as long as Rick's heart is beating, we will get a Percy Jackson (laughs) book every single year for the rest of our lives. Don't quote me on that. That's not real. I'm exaggerating, y'all. This is not a news source. Um, Paul, this is something I would like us to converse about momentarily. We just recorded special drop our first ever patreon exclusive episode on everything everywhere all at once and part of that conversation was about the excellence of waymond and that performance and that character and how powerful nice dads are (laughs) and also specifically the most powerful monologue in that film which is waymond's monologue about kindness and asking us all to just be kind especially when we don't know what's going on. And here comes Paul Blofus, kindest dad in the world, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, with this quote when Sally and Paul are trying to help the kids out. Percy has put himself on the line for us, for his friends, for the world, plenty of times. So can I risk giving you a place to catch your breath, some fresh clothes and a hot meal? Yeah, how could I not? And this like breaks Apollo. <laughs> Mm-hmm. this breaks apollo daddy issues lester papadopoulos like <laughs> absolutely can you imagine for apollo witnessing a father figure who is like my response to danger is that i will provide care and nurturing and support from like a secondary and or tertiary position <laughs> um talk about everything wow. everywhere all at once and the trauma of multi-generational relationships between parents and kids like apollo is not a good dad previously to the trials of apollo because he did not have that modeled for him he was repeating mm. patterns that his father left imprinted on his brain not that that's an excuse but yeah this this breaks apollo and apollo literally says what was it about kindness and has these questions about that's literally a line isn't that crazy like we're just talking about waymond and this whole thing what is about kindness and how someone being kind can just like shatter everything and like make all the difference in the world wow and we talked so much about this in house of hades blood of olympus era and here we are again at the end of this series like thinking about what it is that we owe to one another and even these side characters who are not in the thick of the action wanting so badly to be involved and to like do the work and to help because even though it may not visibly affect them it does affect them and they still owe it to their community and the people who protect them and love them to like help 
Fight the good fight. Oh, wow. This is Rick at his finest. Mm -hmm. Should we do a few more quick quotes? (laughs) Sally Jackson sat down and smiled. Well, this is nice. Shockingly, she sounded sincere. We don't have guests often. Now let's eat and you can tell us who or what is trying to kill you this time. That broke me. (laughs) What a well-characterized person we have in Sally Jackson Mm -hmm. that like that is that is such a specific vision of a person such a specific kind of warmth and sense of connection someone who has gone through the tough experience of learning how to watch Percy do difficult things and be supportive but also to you know like to listen and to offer things when she can't like that that, there's such a specific journey that went into this line of thought and this version of support that we've seen before and that we're seeing again wow this is a culmination this is a culmination of a long journey yeah (laughs) she's absolutely had this conversation with percy before like many a time and it's just like probably second nature to her at this point just lending an ear to someone who needs it and just taking it all in. I also love how, like, Paul is, like, so incredulous about, like, this world yes. still. But, like, yes. wants to be a part of it in any capacity. It's so cute. Literally, yes. Shall we <laughs> do the, the Paul quote? You segued us so well, Rick. Paul is questioning why Lou is calling Meg Sapling. He says, Sapling? Oh, right. Because Meg's the daughter of Demeter. His expression remained serious, but his eyes twinkled. Like, he couldn't believe how lucky he was to be having this conversation. It's so cute. This is also probably a good segue into Meg's journey as we're here, or I guess us learning more about Meg. So this, of course, is probably the, like, best family-adjacent thing that Meg has experienced possibly ever. Um, This is her second time encountering Sally, who she has a strong connection to. But we also find out here at dinner with um, Sally and Paul that Lou is actually Meg's legal guardian and de facto, like, actual guardian. That, like, Lou is someone who raised Meg, who picked her up from school, who signed documents, who coordinated things so that when Meg had to murder someone on Nero's behalf, that actually the murders would not have to be committed and Meg could continue to be slightly more of a less traumatized child. So that's the background that we get as well that is specifically set against the backdrop of of Meg having this very different experience of family, which I think is interesting. It's a way of perhaps helping us to understand Apollo's ongoing concerns about Lou and how we should be conceptualizing Lou's relationship to Meg as someone who like was there for her, but only within the context of also working for her terrible, abusive, Mm -hmm. violent owner slash stepdad slash yeah overlord i also don't remember exactly where this quote comes in i think i wrote it down so it's like somewhere in these first several, oh yeah it's actually in the next chapter um where apollo is like wow like lou cared so much about meg obviously like i can see that but why is it that she never like really stood up to nero and like took mm-hmm. the kids and ran basically if she really is a good person which she seems like she is and he says tyrants are not easy to oppose or walk away from especially when you depend on them for everything which is a... That's a good lesson. You know, this is a kid's book. Yeah. <laughs> That's real. <laughs> that is... It's complicated. Things are complicated. Mm-hmm. Especially when we find ourselves under a tyranny at the time that this book was 
Um, there's also a long section in here that I don't feel the need to read out loud because we've talked about many times. You guys get it. We get it. Where Sally basically spells out the thesis of this book. And (laughs) the thing that surprised me is that it came out so early in this like first five chapters. And I was like, huh, like the growth is, the growth is kind of done now. Now we just have this big battle and kind of like cinching it and figuring what he's going to do in the very end. But Sally's like, wow, the last time you were here, you sucked. And now you're a human, but a human in a good way. And Apollo's like, wow, I am a human in a good way. And I kind of like that we just kind of dropped that so that we could worry about Meg for the rest of the book, if that makes sense. Yes. Sally is functioning here as partially a way to set up the stakes, but also as like a moral arbiter. Like we trust and appreciate Sally so much that it makes 100% sense for us to watch the characters pass through here and for her to like, I don't want to say pass judgment, but a little bit pass judgment on Apollo and on Meg, on Lou, and to say like, here's how I feel about your parenting. Here's how I feel about your emotional maturity. And for that to carry as much weight as it does, like I don't think there's any other character who we could watch be like, Apollo, you've gotten better. Or like, Lou, you know, I understand that you were in a tough situation and I think it's good that you did what you could for Meg. And watching that means so much to the characters and also having that for us, the reader, be like, okay, okay. That is very, very useful contextual information that is going to color the way that we think about how how to conceive these characters and what to expect from the remainder of the book um yes yeah i don't think there was an there is another character in the series that could have like had that much of an impact on both the people that we're reading about and like us as readers and telling us like how to feel about them as well yeah i don't think i'm certainly not anyone at camp Blood. that is america's mom yeah (laughs) you know captain america that's america's ass sally jackson (laughs) that's america's mom she could bestow like criticism and compliments on any one of us and it would rock us to our core also imagine if sally ran camp half-blood and not chiron how well adjusted those demigod children would be please oh my god they would have an actual chance of not being traumatized for the rest of their lives it's create well maybe i don't know this is the book where we find out that dionysus is giving nico therapy therapy we have to talk about that next time um, i wish that i could be a fly on the wall for that um yeah um, wow, wow we could like stage a whole dramatic reading um, <laughs> dramatic we could write up a script and like act it out i'll be dionysus carter you Great. can be nico you're welcome why because they're gay because i'm an asshole <laughs> carter's a mm. monster wow Um, anyhow we also get some plot mechanics here because the real reason we're here is for a good meal and to scheme and the scheming that happens is some backstory about what nero's plans are nero is gonna like blow up the whole city if we try to stage a regular assault so lou's plan is that apollo and meg have to give themselves up to Nero in surrender. But first, they need to like go regroup and also they need to do so in a way that establishes Lou to not be a traitor. So the plan for that is that they are going to go and throw Lou off the top of a building. <laughs> Slay. It's it's normal, it's casual. <laughs> I think those are all the plot elements. That's the plan for now. After this, we're going to push Lou off a building. We're going to get to Cap Half-Flood regroup and do some stuff before we turn ourselves into Nero. Anything else to cover? That's the plan, but oh boy, are there going to be some twists and turns and things will not go the way we expect in typical demigod fashion, which makes this book fun and keeps us on our toes, even at perhaps the expense of not making sense all the time, but I like it. It's (laughs) fun. We're going underground. All right, that brings us to the end of 
today's conversation. We tried to keep it shorter this time, a little, a little short and sweet, because I'm trying to make things weekly again, you know, consistency, New Year's resolutions, etc. Next time we'll be back to cover the next several chapters. Um, we're talking getting to Camp Half-Blood and Camp Half-Blood more Apollo children, a ton, the most ever Nico and Will content, Solangelo coming your way. Um, Rick, will you tell people where they can find you on socials? Yes, I am on Instagram, R-I-C underscore underscore M-O. Rick Mo. You can find me and occasionally Carter shitposting about Persebeth on our Twitter at Seaweed Brain Podcast, Instagram at Seaweed Brain Pod. Sometimes I make TikToks and we have a Patreon now, so... Links in the bio, patreon.com slash seaweedbrain. You can listen to our conversation about everything everywhere all at once right now. Anything else? I think that's it. Bye, y'all. All right. We will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.